0: So I read this article in in Harvard Business Review, hbr.org, and I talk. First of all, Donnie Bedney came in over the weekend and did a, a fantastic interview. We gotta we gotta get Donnie on the show as a regular. This is my guy. We we went to the same university. He was a few years behind me, but Donnie is an entrepreneur. He's the president of PSP Metrics and he kind of put on a clinic about ownership and how if you want to own a business, you can actually find venture capital. There are are a lot of funds out there. If you're able to put a prospectus together, you can get investments. You can own a business that's successful and you can do it while doing your day job. You can make an investment and buy a business you don't have to quit your job and live out of your car and downsize your house or, or put a second mortgage or, or HELOC or something like that. You can actually own a business and you can hire people to run it. And he used the term lifestyle business. I think the term that's used in infomercials is turnkey. But, hey, and I talked to him. I talked to him offline. I was like, I really thought I, I came very close to buying a Baskin Robbins a few years ago before the pandemic. And I'm like, in Phoenix, it's hot. And I was looking at a Baskin-Robbins. I was looking at uh, a Rita's frozen custard. And I'm like, hey, if I could buy this, you know, I had, I had a little bit of money that I'd saved up. I was like, if I could buy this and the cash flows high enough, I could basically hire someone to run it. And if I'm taking home 50, 75K a year as the owner... And I'm doing my day job. I'm not. I'm not making the frozen custard myself, but I have someone run it. I'm collecting income. But Donnie, has kind of enlightened my mind to be bigger than that. It's like, well, why you could you know you could own a a Baskin Robbins or or Rita's frozen custard or something like that, but think bigger. Why not think that you have enough money to be regional and own a whole chain of, of stores or own me being in healthcare. He, he, he's actually a person that put in my mind. He's like, why don't you go out and try to figure out how you can buy a medical group, how you can buy some IPAs because you work in healthcare, you work in risk adjustment and stars. You've been managing provider groups and managing networks. You've been doing that for years. You should aspire to own the network. Because with your experience, it's a lot easier to go and get venture capital funding. You put a prospectus together. You go somewhere that has a nine-figure fund and say, hey, it costs $2, 3000000 million to, to buy this. This is what I'm going to do to make sure it's successful if they have good cash flows. He was like, James, you could own a provider network and be the CEO and manage it. And you've been doing it most of your adult life. And when he told me that, that absolutely blew my mind. I was like, I never thought about that. You know, I've thought about expanding Paragon 7 Studios, which, which we are doing. Paragon Paragon 7, Seven. I thought about Studios. buying a, a small chain of a, of a store, Mom and Pop, or like I said, a Baskin Robbins, a, a Rita's, something like that. I never thought about owning a provider network. I never thought about doing anything that would require venture capital. I was like I'm going to buy based on what cash I have in my in my personal account and in learning that changes completely changes my perspective. And more people really need to to learn that there's money out there, there's opportunity out there. And you don't as as Donnie said and I said earlier, you do not have to quit your job and liquidate your 401k to do this. You can do it and keep your day job. And, and that's amazing. So so Dottie's going to be coming on as much as I can get him to come on. I know he's very busy. He's doing some mergers and acquisitions and some things himself on the back end of this year. But but having that knowledge, having that caliber of professional and leader, thought leader, to, to be on my show, that's a huge win for for State Radio Network. But back to the article on, on HBR.org, because I'm talking a little bit of business in this segment. One of the mistakes that I made when I was the vice president— I used to call too many darn meetings. Nobody likes going to meetings. Before COVID, nobody liked going to meetings. During COVID, nobody likes going to meetings after COVID. Meetings are annoying. They're time consuming. Everybody's doing, let's say you spend nine, 10 hours a day in your cubicle or in your office. And if you're someone like me, they had to drive from hospital to hospital. You're spending your 10 hours and you're, and you're spending another hour and a half in your car last thing you want is an extra 45 minute meeting that's going to take up your time when you have work to do so if you're sitting in meetings four or five hours a day that doesn't mean that you have less work to do you still got to get your 10 hours of actual work in so nobody likes meetings i made a huge mistake when i first became an executive i used to call too many meetings and i didn't do it because i was power tripping i didn't do it because i wanted to have the meetings i didn't, I didn't want to have the meetings but I felt that in the position that I was in, that I needed to educate my staff. And I felt that, that we needed to spend a lot of time in education. What I should have done is I should have gone to HR and said that I need to educate my staff. How can we put together some type of rubric or program to educate? But I would have these meetings. And after, like, three months of that, like, people start to tune out. And people will buck on you if you have too many meetings. Because it's, it's a demotivator. And that was something I had to learn. And as I got a little bit wiser, I was like, all right, we have to have less meetings. We have to figure out how to do trainings and developments, but without all of the meetings. And you, you go to your thought leadership, you go to your C-suite, you go to your mentors, and you figure that out. But one of the things in that meetings that's, that's important, especially for people that are on the middle management line or the early executive line, When should you speak up in a meeting and when should you hold back? Because usually the person in a meeting that's doing all the talking, that's usually the person that knows the least. I had a great conversation with a good friend that was passing through Nashville over the weekend, uh, Mark Nyarko. He's been on the show a couple of times. And he's the COO of uh, Centene Well Care Kentucky. So he's the operations lead for for the state health plan in Kentucky, which is a pretty big Medicaid plan and, and a burgeoning Medicare plan. And he talked about there have been times where where there have been individuals that have reported to him, and he's had to tell them that it's okay to not know everything. So don't come into meetings hemming and hawing and bloviating about things that you don't know because people can see through that. Isaac Palmer, who – Isaac Palmer Jr., who comes on this show frequently, he talks about authenticity and when a, a, an eye-opening – Mind-blowing moment for me many years ago. He said, hey, when I was at Christus in Shreveport, and I'm the CEO, I'm in charge of all of this. But I was young. I was trying to emulate other leaders that had influenced me. He said one of the sisters, one of the nuns, pulled him aside and said, hey, you got to be yourself. You got to be authentic. Because when you're not authentic and you're the leader, you're actually lying. You're a liar. If you don't show us who you really are, you're a liar and you're not going to get anyone's respect and you're not going to get anyone that wants to follow you into whatever strategic and tactical planning approaches you have for this organization as a CEO. And that always sat out with me. I was like, it takes a lot of a lot of cojones to say that to your boss. But it's true. Got to be authentic. And in meetings, people. Need to speak effectively, but you don't want to monopolize the time. You don't want to filibuster, you don't want to do those things because then you you lose respect. So here are some strategies per the harvardbusinessreview.org And the author is kind of speaking on some things that that she has observed over the years. Prepare a few bullets in advance. A senior executive that I work with was, was deathly afraid of public speaking early in her career. A lot of people are. I'm not. I loved having the mic. I loved it too much. In order to overcome that fear, she challenged herself to speak up at every single meeting, but she prepared several comments and questions in advance. Her comments were were clear and concise. This executive is now a role model within her organizations and considered one of the most confident, authentic speakers in her industry. Don't wait for inspiration to hit you in the meeting, prepare in advance. Another one, pause and breathe to build your confidence. Speaking up in a meeting takes courage. You have the ability to affect the trajectory of the conversation, potentially guiding your client towards saying yes to a deal. When your colleagues have taken the meeting off track, pausing and breathing, so just that brief pause. If you're sitting in a meeting and you really wanna be engaged, you wanna be involved, like I said, especially if you're mid-level management or you're a director, You want to engage in meetings because you want people to know that you're there and that you're paying attention and you're not playing solitaire on your laptop. Pausing and breathing helps center yourself and strengthens your voice so that when you do speak up, you speak with the full weight of your conviction. While you pause, ask yourself, if one person in this room has the same question, am I willing to ask on behalf of that person? The answer should build your confidence. I love that segment because it's basically saying, if you're speaking up in a meeting and you're putting in your two cents, so you're you're in the war room, you're in the boardroom. I reported to a board in, a, in, in my last position. I had to go in to the board of directors and I had my five minute spiel to talk about risk adjustment and stars and, and the P&L and, and financial expectations. But if you're sitting in the rest of that meeting, the network construct, other things within the panorama of those board meetings impacted my team. I usually would just sit there and be quiet when I was at the board meetings. So I ran my own meetings. I ran them into the ground and had to get better at running my own meetings and more lean and more efficient. But I wouldn't say anything at all at the at the big meeting because I didn't want any more attention drawn on me. I was just trying to do my job. I'm in there with the with the seven figure earners. But if you're gonna ask a question and you're convicted ask the question that's on behalf of other people within your organization don't ask for yourself for your own personal gain ask for the gain of your team ask for the gain of your your colleagues and and those are strategies for for speaking up uh, effectively it talks about times where you probably should shut up and just keep your mouth shut I've been talking about the whole fiasco with Kyrie Irving and, and Kanye West. I've been kind of mocking that. Dave Chappelle. I'm just like, man, I'm going to sit this one out. So my strategy is to, to hold back because I don't feel, and still don't feel that there's, there's not a lot to gain about solving that, <laughs> that quandary. And there's a whole lot to lose if I say something really dumb or that inadvertently offends somebody. So it goes on to say, this is when you should hold back. If you're only speaking to to try to show off. We've all had the experience of sitting in a meeting or on a conference call that runs late where everyone is trying to wrap up and someone is rambling about the topic. The group had already moved on 30 minutes ago. Right before you speak up, ask yourself, am I speaking up just to show how much I know? And if so, is it better to let someone else talk or let the meaning run its natural course. Like I'm saying, I've been guilty of that. I had to get better, I still have to get better. Second one, if you're trying to empower others on your team, the author says, I had a pivotal moment in graduate school where I received feedback that I spoke up too much in class. And I had I, I worked with this guy, I won't name his name, And I was in, in grad school. This guy used to answer every single question. It was almost like the, the scripted TV shows that that had that had people in school like boy meets world or a different world or even cartoons of the Simpsons where you had the one the the one chubby kid that's the nerd just any or you had Lisa Lisa Simpson in any classroom situation just somebody that that always knows everything that always wants to comment on everything everybody hates that person they, they hate their guts and I, I went to grad school with a guy that, that was like that, man. He, he was an engineer. He was really, really smart. He was older than the rest of us. But he always, it's almost like he wanted to teach the econ class. Like he wanted the professor to be like, hey, why don't you, why don't you scooch on over and let me get a whack at a chalkboard. The article goes to say, a, a classmate <laughs> said, you can become a crutch for others we can't wrestle with the question being asked because you jump in with the answer. Sometimes leadership is about letting others find their own solution. Wow. That's a, that's a lot to unpack. And I've had to learn that. Giving others the opportunity to speak in a meeting is one of the most powerful ways we can build their leadership skills and raise their visibility, both internally and externally and give clients, colleagues a more comprehensive sense of support from the whole team and then last one if your comment would be better left for a one-on-one conversation senior executives consistently offer feedback on their direct reports by saying they need to learn when to leave something to a one-on-one conversation so many difficult conversations within an organization can be mitigated by talking privately to someone in person wherever possible rather than addressing the issue in a group where the person will feel defensive i used to have so many people on the director line, the the management line that didn't like each other, that felt the other person was juxtaposing themselves to move up within the organization at their expense. And I would always say, well, why don't, why don't you go talk to him? Why don't you talk to her? There's a Starbucks downstairs. Why can't, why can't you sit for 30 minutes and have coffee and really see where that person's coming from? And 10 times out of 10, when those meetings occurred, people realized that this individual isn't isn't as much of a threat as I thought they were. They're just doing their job, their communication style is different, and they were able to move forward. You are listening to the Blanche J. Radio Network. James Lewis. But I get this email that says. Election day may be behind us, but our work is far from finished, James. The Senate race in Georgia is headed for a runoff, and that means the result of this election depends on what we do between now and December 6. And it says in big, bold letters, you haven't donated this year to the DNC split. So it's giving me instructions. Split a $10 donation between Raphael Warnock's campaign and the DNC to help with this runoff and defeat Herschel Walker. Rampage the first lieutenant of the Universal Flipmall squad. Don't, don't demand money from me, DNC. Don't ever send me an email like that again in your life. If I was there, I'd probably, just to be spiteful, I'd probably vote for Herschel Walker just to spite you because that email was so disrespectful. You demanding my money that I worked hard for during a recession in a post-COVID society when I got a family to feed and they're demanding that I give you money? Bleep you, man. You are listening to the Lance J Radio Network.